I, I'm going to get to Bernie, but I mean, what is the point of having an app? What is the point of the Democratic Party? Can somebody tell me? You know, you got Trump who's doing Ku Klux Klan rallies, Nazi Germany rallies, it looks like. And you got the Democratic Party. The House passed a massive $2.7 trillion budget deal that boosts Pentagon and domestic spending in a win for Speaker Nancy Pelosi and President Trump. The deal also suspends the debt debt ceiling into 2021. So $2.7 trillion budget deal. What's in it? Top Republicans believe only a fraction of their conference will support the legislation, blah, 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 blah. So let's see what's in it. On the Democratic side, Pelosi is personally lobbying her members to support the agreement, and she predicted it would pass. We're going to have a majority for this bill. Progressives concerned about inflating the Pentagon's budget are expected to rally around Pelosi. Their backing comes after a revolt earlier this year when they rejected spending levels crafted by the House Budget Chairman John Yarmuth. The two-year, $2.7 trillion package, now earning half-hearted endorsements from progressives, includes $5 billion more for the military in fiscal 2020, funding that what House Democrats like Yarmouth wanted to provide earlier this year, in addition to $15 billion less for domestic programs. Under the deal, defense programs would see a 3% hike in fiscal 2020, topping off at $738 billion. That's $738 billion. Domestic programs would increase 4% over, over current levels to a total of $632 billion, which includes $2.5 billion for the 2020 census. Ugh. The, accru- the agreement includes about $77 billion in offsets, which is far less than the $150 billion sought by the Trump administration. So basically, basically, Nancy Pelosi and the progressives on the left are agreeing to a $738 billion defense budget. You know, this is, this is what drives me crazy. You're telling me, you're telling me, okay, we got a 4% increase in domestic spending, which some of it is going to the census, so take that out. I don't even know what Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats uh, are getting Trump to agree to and where to put that domestic spending. But putting that aside, $738 billion, it was $715 billion, which was already immoral and absurd and emblematic of not a country but an empire. And now you move it up to $738 billion? Well, I don't know. Call me radical. And by the way, I do believe in modern monetary theory. I'm trying to get an interview uh, with Steve Grumbine. Uh, We just haven't been able to find a time. So putting aside the fact that we have more money, we have all the money in the world to pay for all these things. The government prints money, particularly for war. But you have people like Elizabeth Warren that voted for the $715 billion defense budget last year. Well, how is it if you're Elizabeth Warren or any progressive candidate Are you going to get your domestic programs that you are, you know, I have a plan through if you are spending $738 billion? $738 billion on the military. How are you supposed to find the money if 65%, I think it is, of our budget goes to the military? Kelly Elaine, 800 military bases? Try 1,000. Watch the documentary Standing Army. It's 
insane how many bases we have around the world. Viva Puerto Rico, yes. And to increase, to increase this insane military budget, what did Nancy Pelosi get? She got a, where is this? 4% increase over current levels to $632 billion. $632 billion for what America needs, $632 billion, versus $738 billion for what we don't need. That is the defense budget. And you wonder why almost half the country cannot afford a $400 emergency. You wonder why homelessness is exploding in this country. You wonder why the majority of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. You wonder why African Americans and brown people and indigenous people and poor white people are being driven out of their cities. I don't even call it gentrification anymore. I call it economic terrorism. But we gotta give more money to the military. We gotta buy more jet, jet fighters that we don't need. We gotta buy more planes that we don't need. More Navy ships that we don't need. More, more, more. Maybe America could get away with like, I don't know, 250, $300 billion military budget, which would still be more than majority of the other countries. As Mike Gravel constantly says, who's going to attack America? Obviously, you have terrorist groups and this and that. You think China is really going to attack America? You think North Korea is going to really attack America? They'll be wiped off the earth. Bernie Sanders did not vote for that $715 billion defense budget. Elizabeth Warren did. And as I say, it's immoral. Tulsi Gabbard certainly didn't. Oh, by the way, Tulsi Gabbard sued uh, Google today for a lot of money. A lot of money she sued Google today, which I'm hoping to have time to get to that. So to me, you cannot have a progressive, I don't care if it's just, not just for president, I'm talking Congress, I'm talking Senate. You cannot be proposing progressive domestic policies if you vote for a $738 billion defense budget. You cannot be a serious progressive if you vote for a defense budget that is more than domestic spending. And for those of you incrementalists out there, for those of you who say, Jordan, Jordan, well, what do you want him to do? The Republicans are of the Senate and the Republicans have the White House. The Democrats were voting for these insane military budgets that were more than the domestic budget when they had the White House, the House, and the Senate. Totally insane. But this is what you get when you have Nancy Pelosi leading the charge. You get defense spending at insane amounts. You get tepid domestic spending increase, which who knows what that domestic spending is going to go to because the House Democrats are trying to lob through a, 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 another spending bill, which is going to cut the community centers that Bernie Sanders with Senator James Clyburn. Is it? No. Congressman James? No. Senator James Clyburn. Uh, they're cutting community centers that Bernie Sanders got into Obamacare. Those who say, oh, Bernie Sanders hasn't done anything in the Senate. Well, he got $10 billion, excuse me, $12 billion in funding for community centers around this country in Obamacare. Not to mention him and uh, de deceased military warmonger John McCain created the best veterans health care package and legislation in modern history. 
Thank you, Lindsay H. Five dollars in the super chat. Cut military spending and put the money towards healthcare, education, and the environment. Yes. Not to mention the other military budget that we're throwing money at, which is the police in this country, which are continuing to murder black men at a record rate. And nobody's saying a goddamn thing about it. Daniel Pantaleo in New York City is now still free five years after Eric Garner's murder. And the federal government announced last week they're not going to charge him. But you want to talk about I have a plan? Well, how are your plans going to get anywhere, Elizabeth Warren? And I'm not just picking on Elizabeth Warren. Kamala Harris. Joe Biden, who we know is not cutting the, the military budget. That's for sure. I mean, it's absurd. And you know who suffers? The communities across this country that status quo goes, goes out to. Whether it be Flint, whether it's going to be Detroit next week, which Detroit, which we're going to, to cover the next debate, become a member now to support this kind of reporting, statusquo.com slash join. These are the communities suffering. There are streets in Detroit and Flint and Milwaukee and uh, Chicago and um, Baltimore and St. Louis and Ferguson and San Francisco that literally look no different than Baghdad after bombs are dropped. How do I know? Because I've been there. Joe Biden wants to, you know, oh, we have to recapture the soul of America. What soul would that be? Police terrorism, economic terrorism perpetrated against the people, the military industrial complex run amok. Is that the soul? Because I don't like the soul right now. It's gotten a lot worse under President Trump, no doubt. He has emboldened closet racists to just come out of the closet. And it's scary what's going on at these rallies. We need to defeat Trump. I don't want to say, trust me, you look at those rallies, he needs to be defeated. But what is the point of defeating him if you're just going to insert this continued mealy-mouthed, incremental, neoliberal bull****? I got a report on a story that is not so kind to the Bernie Sanders campaign. But as I always said, I am not going to be a fanboy for Bernie Sanders, and I have to report accurately. So there is a there has been a complaint filed against his campaign. Uh, I have some suspicions about this complaint, but I got a report on it. So bear with me. Uh, there is a currently we don't know who it is, but there's a, a labor complaint that has been filed against Bernie Sanders campaign, alleging that his campaign broke federal labor labor laws. Identity of the charge filer remains unknown. Obviously, it goes without saying. I've already reached out to Bernie's campaign. Uh, they've gotten back to me. Uh, one person got back to me adding another person onto the email. So obviously, this story is going to be updated. They haven't been able to answer my questions yet, which is fine because I'm sure they're getting a lot of outlets reaching out on this. So new details on an, on anonymous, which is the first problem, unfair labor practice charge filed against Senator Bernie Sanders. 2020 presidential campaign shine a light on some of the allegations against the campaign. It also suggests that the complaint may have may have been filed by a current or former staffer, although anyone can file a charge with the National Labor Relations Board, including people who don't directly work for the campaign. Bloomberg ob obtained a redacted copy of the charge filed July 19th, so last week, with the uh, NLRB and added to the agency's public docket July 22nd. Board investigators will look into the charge to determine whether it warrants a formal government-backed complaint or should be dismissed. 
the complainant, who again, we don't know if it's a he, we don't know if it's a she, we don't know if it's a current staffer, we don't know if it's a former staffer. It might not even be somebody who works on the campaign, because again, a, a labor complaint could be filed by anyone. It doesn't have to be somebody who works for the campaign. Campaign management, quote, retaliated against me when I organized the bargaining unit and sent an email requesting compliance with the collective employment contract, the anonymous person wrote in the charge. The person also said that at least three campaign staffers were fired in retaliation for their organizing and union activities, among other allegations. The allegations come shortly after a tense period in the relationship between the Sanders campaign and the union representing its staffers was recently made public. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, Sanders campaign representative didn't immediately respond. Uh, the senator, in an interview with the Des Moines Registers last week, defended his campaign's treatment of staffers and said he was disappointed the staff had taken their complaints to the media. The unknown filer alleged that the campaign failed to notify us upon hire that we had a collective bargaining agreement and maintained that we were at will. At will workers generally can be fired at any time and for any reason the employer deems appropriate. The charge alleges that management promised, quote, some employees housing and not others, despite that paid housing and expenses are required under the collective bargaining agreement. The Sanders campaign also broke the terms of its collective bargaining agreement by making staff work additional days and failing to provide days off, the charge alleges. Many of the allegations appear to have occurred at least a month prior to the recent compromise reached between the campaign workers and management that reduced the hours worked. The timing of other allegations was redacted. So basically, and remember, this is at the moment, we do not know who filed the complaint. I don't even know if Bernie Sanders' campaign knows who filed the complaint. I don't know how that works. It might just go to the uh, Labor Relations Board and they, and possibly the union, because you would think if it's a unionized worker who filed the complaint, they are the ones, uh, the union would know who it is. Uh, I don't have any intel. I spoke with one person who's not on the campaign, but kind of knows what's going on. Uh, says Said that this person knows who the person is that filed it. Uh, the person I spoke to said, for the most part, they think it's bullshit. Um, but what can I, I, I can't really report anything because I, A, I haven't heard back from the campaign. B, I don't know who it is. And C, you know, I would honestly say this if it was the Warren campaign, the Harris campaign, whoever's campaign, you know, somebody can make a complaint and it's their interpretation of what happened, but it's not actually what happened. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I, I've worked in workplaces before where you have somebody who's just like a pain in the ass employee, pain in the ass, doesn't stop complaining, constantly has issues, uh, doesn't realize that, yeah, sometimes you're going to have to work 40 hours a day. It's the news business. Sometimes, you know, things are not going to be, uh, you know, rainbows and sunshine. So it could be somebody with a not legitimate complaint. It could be somebody with a legitimate complaint. Complaint. These things, these things also work on the local level. So it could have been somebody who was dealing with a manager who was doing the wrong thing on the local level, let's say in Iowa, you know, the campaign has local offices and local staff all over the country, Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, California, Nevada, other states. So we don't know. But there's a few things I want to note for this story. Number one, Bernie Sanders' campaign was the first campaign, and I'm not sure if any other campaigns are unionized. He was the first campaign to unionize. So 
I don't, I find it very hard to believe, honestly, that Bernie Sanders' campaign with Bernie Sanders' record on unions, Bernie Sanders has been one of the strongest politicians in America, not like a fake union guy like Joe Biden, but like a real union guy. I find it very hard to believe that Bernie Sanders' campaign was, you know, like hitting back at employees who were trying to unionize. I really, really find that hard to believe. I'm not saying this as somebody who supports Bernie. I'm saying it as somebody who looks at his record. This is someone who, in his bones, believes in collective bargaining. He would have to be one of the best actors in American history to pretend to be such a strong labor person uh, and basically have his campaign trying to stop people from negotiating. So that's number one. Number two, um, as far as it's saying in the contract, at will, when you're unionized, I have worked. I have worked at a company. Uh, I worked at a nonprofit a few years ago that was a union, um, was a union job, but still in my offer letter it said at will. So we were represented by a union, but it still said at will. When at will employment, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you know labor law, at will means you, the company could fire you or you could quit. It's, you know, it's not a binding contract. But if you are an at-will employee with union representation, they can't just fire you for no reason. Whereas at a non-union shop, they could fire you if they don't like the way you look at them. So as far as I know, you can be a union worker, but still be an at-will employee because a union worker could quit whenever they want. You're not, I mean, it's different if you're a manager at a company because managers at some companies have actual contracts, which I'm going to work here, I'm, I'm committing a year or two years or whatever. So, you know, I don't, I don't know as far as, again, I don't know who filed this complaint. I don't know if it's a he, I don't know if it's a she, I don't know if it's somebody who currently works with the campaign. I don't know if it's somebody who does, who used to work with the campaign. And again, it might be somebody who does not even, never even work for the campaign. It could be a guy or girl at an ice cream shop who doesn't like Bernie Sanders because anybody could file a, a, a labor dispute. But the point is, to me, that was a red flag, because if it says at will, it doesn't mean it to me, that doesn't mean anything. You could be a union worker and still be at will. It just means they have to have a, a legitimate reason to fire you. When I worked at this nonprofit that we were unionized, but also at will, there were people that were fired. <laughs> so uh, that doesn't make much sense to me. Thirdly, thirdly, um, to me, I got to be honest with you, and I'm about as pro-union as you get. I believe you should be paid overtime. I believe in workers' rights. But some of these people are big fucking babies. Some of these people, and I'd say this on Bernie's campaign or other campaigns, what presidential campaign do you know of that is like nine to five? If you believe in the candidate, whether it's Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Harris, Biden, whatever. Yes, you should be paid. Bernie Sanders is paying $15 an hour. Bernie Sanders is paying, paying out some of the best health care costs, which MSNBC has knocked him for. Oh, you know, he's offering, the, he says it's the best health care plan. Oh, but it's a private plan. So isn't he hypocritical? Well, what do you want him to offer? Their Medicare for all doesn't exist now. So they're offering the best plan they could find on the private market. But the point is, like, 
okay, these people were upset that they had to work some extra days or these people are upset that they have to work extra hours. Like, what did you expect working on a presidential campaign? Like, it's not a nine to five. There's rallies, there's phone banking, there's volunteering. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be paid for the extra hours you're working. Nobody's working extra hours for free. And because it's a unionized campaign, one of the only unionized campaigns, the union, the, the workers who felt they were working extra hours but not getting uh, the $15 minimum wage was able to collectively bargain with the Sanders campaign and now it has been rectified. You see how that works? But it's only possible because Bernie Sanders gave the go-ahead for them to unionize because he truly believes it. So uh, I, again, I find it hard to believe that Bernie Sanders' campaign was fighting workers who were trying to unionize. That just doesn't make sense because they unionized very early on in the campaign. And by the way, by the way, you know, the media is going to run with this because they'll do anything to attack Bernie Sanders. Elizabeth Warren's campaign has unpaid internships masked as fellowships. I mean, Google it. Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden's campaign are offering fellowships. And those fellows do the same exact things as paid interns, but they don't get paid or they get school credit. So what about that? Amy Klobuchar and John Delaney, who the only person in America that is supporting John Delaney is his wife or his mother or his mother. John, uh, they are literally delaying payments to their workers so that they could artificially increase, artificially enlarge enlarge I just made up a word, artificially prop up their end of the quarter balance sheets. For example, Klobuchar delayed payment to her workers so she could say in the second quarter, April, May, June, we, we took in $7 million. It was really 6.2, but since they didn't pay the workers, I think for a week, they were able to have more money in their balance sheet and it was extended to 7 million. But we're talking about Bernie Sanders. So, I mean, that's really all I could say. I, I felt I had to obviously report on it. I'm not gonna cover it up uh, for Bernie, but there's no information. Again, it's, it's, you know, it's somebody who made a complaint. We don't know if it's a legitimate complaint, but she's able to make the complaint because Bernie Sanders' campaign is unionized. Uh, I said she. I, I honestly don't know who it is, so it could be a he. Um, but we'll see what happens. I mean, if the campaign did something wrong, they should be criticized for it. But I have a hard time believing that Bernie Sanders' campaign is like intimidating workers trying to unionize. I really do. I also don't understand what this person is talking about, that it said at will. Yeah, campaign workers are at will, even unionized campaign workers. A campaign can fire you. It's just if you have a union, they need a more, they need to have a legitimate reason to fire you. Whereas you're not in a union, gone. They could, they could fire you for any reason. You're still at will and you could quit at any time. That's what at will means. But I gotta, I gotta be honest, I have a problem. Maybe it's because I'm old school and I, I worked a lot of unpaid internships and maybe it's old, maybe I'm old school because I work a lot of jobs for very low money just to like pay my dues. I think people should be paid. I think people should be paid $15 minimum wage. But this isn't a corporation. This is a presidential campaign. It is different. So the, the campaign doesn't have the same amount coming in per week 
per month, per, you know, per six months. So if you got to work more than 40 hours a week, if that's a problem for you, maybe you, maybe you're in the wrong line of work because it should, A, it shouldn't feel like work and B, you're getting very good health care from the Sanders campaign and B, like it takes working 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week, 80 hours a week, out hustling the other campaigns to win in Iowa, to win in New Hampshire, to win in South Carolina. As of now, I think Bernie is competitive in Iowa. I think Bernie is competitive in New Hampshire. I think he's going to get crushed in South Carolina, to tell you the truth. But I think, I, I don't expect, I think it's either going to be Biden wins South Carolina by a lot, or Biden slides and Kamala Harris slips in there. I think it's, I think it's an older African-American uh, vote. And for whatever reason, they love themselves establishment. As I reported uh, earlier, or a couple days ago, you know, MSNBC, oh my God, MSNBC, which like a long, long time ago in a, in a galaxy far away, was like kind of progressive. You remember when like Keith, Ober Keith Oberman was like sane and progressive, like fighting against the Bush administration? Uh, Ed Schultz, when he had a primetime show, like MSNBC used to be somewhat progressive. I don't know what the hell has happened here. Maybe Comcast has said, enough with your progressive nonsense. We want our tax cuts, we want our deregulation, and we want it now. That's Comcast, the parent company. So to remind you, this is the journalism of MSNBC in recent weeks. Well, I mean, look, first of all, I think what the first debate showed us is that they do make a difference, right? I mean, we've already had at least one candidate drop out. Um, so, you know, it feels like this is going to narrow it further and further. Um, I think, you know, having Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren next to each other will really highlight, because for me, as, you know, again, I'm not the political analyst here, but just as a woman, probably considered a somewhat moderate Democrat, I, Bernie Sanders makes my skin crawl, and I can't even identify for you what exactly it is, but I, I see him as sort of a, a not pro-woman candidate. And so having the two of them there, like, I don't understand young women who support him. And I'm hoping that having him next to her will help highlight that, because those are the people that I, if I were her, I would want to say, well, why are you supporting him and not me if you're going to choose between the two of us? I'm going to leave it there. I missed this. I missed this when I first reported on it. That idiot, Mimi Roca, uh, she lives in Scarsdale, which is one of the wealthiest counties in America. Okay. She also worked for the federal government uh, as, a, as a prosecutor when the federal government could have, could have charged big bankers who brought down the financial, the financial system, the global financial system. Her and her allies did nothing. I'm not a woman. I don't have those parts. But I could venture to think that maybe women want to vote for Bernie Sanders, who's been fighting for their abortion rights since the 1970s. Maybe women want to vote for Bernie Sanders because he's been fighting to close the pay gap pretty much since he's been in office, when no one was talking about it. Maybe women like Bernie Sanders because women have health care needs that they can't afford, like and especially preventive means like mammograms and things like that. He's so anti-women. Oh my God, what a piece of shit that woman is. Sorry. And what was even more infuriating, she's saying this ridiculousness, which the anchor does not challenge her on, and Zelina Maxwell, who 
tweets deranged things about Bernie Sanders constantly without facts. I don't mind if you criticize Bernie Sanders or anyone. Do you have any facts to support what you're saying? Oh, he makes my skin crawl. Why? Well, I don't know. They go to a dermatologist. So, but Zelina Maxwell's like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Makes my skin crawl, too. Makes my skin crawl, too. Thank you, Robert Cordova, 5,000 Super Chat. So what do you think about Kamala Harris trying to pass a bill that would federally make marijuana legal? I think Kamala Harris is trying to uh, flip-flop like Mitt Romney and Hillary Clinton. Yeah, well, it, it's great that you want to make it legal now. You didn't want to make it legal when you had some power in California. But you were the Attorney General of California, you didn't want to make it legal. So too little, too late, if you ask me. And I don't want to hear, oh, people evolve. Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of politicians conveniently evolve when they're running for president. You ever notice that? A lot of politicians conveniently evolve on issues when they're running for president. One person has been right on these issues basically for 30 years. And I guarantee you, Elizabeth Warren, if you came to this late, uh, the Democrats just agreed to a $738 billion defense budget. Guarantee you she's going to vote against it. Guarantee you she's going to vote against it. When last year she voted for a $715 billion defense budget. Let's take a look at another clip from MSNBC, which is just mind boggling to me. Look at this. Let me ask you about this because there's this new poll from CNN of New Hampshire showing New Hampshire, New England, showing Senator Elizabeth Warren um, ahead of your candidate, ahead of Bernie Sanders. He's also behind Senator Warren when it comes to money raised. Ahead of your candidate. Are you looking at the screen, folks? They're tied in this poll. Later polls have shown Bernie Sanders ahead of Elizabeth Warren in New Hampshire and very close to Biden. This anchor, literally, with a straight face, the graphic is on the screen, says... Let me ask you about this because there's this new poll from CNN of New Hampshire showing New Hampshire, New England, showing Senator Elizabeth Warren um, ahead of your candidate, ahead of Bernie Sanders. He's also behind Senator Warren when it comes to money raised. Is she owning your lane? No. So our lane is not the same as uh, Elizabeth Warren's lane. And it's I think fairly it's, similar. Is that not fair? No, it's, it's actually it's not. When you when you look down at the race, I think if you look at the race, uh, Bernie Sanders' base is much more diverse, is much more working class. Uh, he's still winning overwhelmingly with young people. So I do not know. The, the, the base is not the same. You're not worried when you see this poll showing at a place where Senator Sanders did very well in 2016 and now he's not? That concerns you not at all? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I like Jeff Weaver. But possibly, can you correct her? She's saying Elizabeth Warren is leading Bernie Sanders in New Hampshire when the graphic, they're tied in that poll. And again, since then, Bernie Sanders is beating her in New Hampshire. And she also said, uh, you know, and he's not doing good now. He's at 19 percent. He's five points behind Biden. Yeah. In 2016, he was running against one person. Now he's running against 15. So is he really not doing good or is he just have more competitors? He's still in that poll only 5% back. But the point is the MSNBC anchor, she has the poll right in front of her. I used to work in corporate media. She's got the poll in front of her. They're tied. She says, Elizabeth Warren is leading Bernie Sanders. Like this is Fox News level lying. This isn't subtle lying. And I'm not saying this to knock Elizabeth Warren. She did well in that poll but they were tied. 
there's a story that, ooh, tensions are erupting between MSNBC and Bernie Sanders' campaign. Good! Bernie Sanders' campaign should be on the offense against. I mean, this is, this is propaganda right now that MSNBC is doing. Complete and utter propaganda. I'll read some of this to you because there's some pretty important things in here. Senator Bernie Sanders and MSNBC have always had a complicated relationship, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but officials in Sanders' campaign contend that leading up to the 2020 election, the network is one of several cable news outlets directly contributing to a media climate where false claims go unchecked and requests for progressive voices on air are frequently turned down. More of, quote, more often than not, these commentators are injecting their opinion without any policy discussion. Nina Turner, the national co-chair of Sanders' campaign, told the Daily Beast, they're not there to tell the gospel truth. Well, Nina Turner knows about the gospel truth. The backlash from Sanders' world reached a new high on, MS on Sunday when MSNBC analyst Mimi Roca, a former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, an occasional contributor to the Daily Beast, launched a personal critique. Yeah, that's a, that's a word for it critique of Sanders during a segment saying that he makes her skin crawl and that he's not a pro-woman candidate. Well, also what I love, what I love, love, love about this person, Mimi Roca, what is, what is her, what is her expertise on politics or campaigns? She's a former prosecutor. Why do we care what she has to say about Bernie Sanders or anyone else? Yeah. Come on to talk about Jeffrey Epstein. Come on to talk about, uh, you know, the Mueller investigation, whatever. But MSNBC is just having randos that aren't even in the political field to just bash Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders makes my skin crawl, which I already showed you. Roka's comments, which multiple campaign officials contend went too far, were part of a larger issue they see brewing, where the fact-checking process appears to be largely removed from the day-to-day -day political discourse among some commentators and hosts. Quote, it takes a certain kind of woman to ignore that education, healthcare, and the economy are women's issues too. Hashtag privileged much? This is not what intersectional feminism looks like. It's corporate feminism at its finest. Full stop. Sanders press, National Press Secretary Brianna Joy Gray wrote on Twitter. And when she says corporate feminism, she means it because this woman is from Scarsdale, which is one of the wealthiest areas in the United Corporations of America. Oh, She's from Scarsdale. Oh, Bernie Sanders makes my skin crawl and I use very, very, very expensive lotion on my skin. So a senior campaign aide said the campaign believes there are possible biases in the network. Possible biases, come on. But instead of shunning MSNBC, they've been aggress aggressive in getting their people booked. Sanders has been on the network at least nine times this cycle, granting multiple interviews to Chris Hayes, Ali Velshi and Stephanie Rule, as well as Al Sharpton. He has done at least the same amount of appearances on the network as he did in the first six months of the 2016 election. Still, a separate campaign official said there's only a small handful of guests closely aligned with Sanders who regularly appear on the network. And that while they're hopeful more will be added as the field narrows, their suggestions thus far have been largely turned down. So let me expand on this. MSNBC constantly, constantly has former Hillary Clinton campaign people on to analyze Bernie Sanders. You know, that's like having me on to analyze the Young Turks. 
I have no interest in talk, going on TV or the internet and talking about the Young Turks. Obviously, I don't feel so fondly, but are you going to have somebody who is not so fond to a campaign or a corporation on to analyze that campaign or media network? Of course not, because it's not fair an analysis. It's not, I mean, let me, let me refrain. I could give fair analysis, but obviously I have a bias. So having somebody on and making it, pre presenting it as just fair, neutral, you know, just good old fashioned political analysis is total bullshit. So why do they keep having Philip Raines on, who used to be Hillary Clinton's like bag man to analyze Bernie Sanders? Why do they keep having on, um, um, what's this woman with moveon.org? Oh, Jess McIntosh, who was like Hillary Clinton's former communications director, constantly on to talk Bernie Sanders. Why don't they have Cornell West on? Why don't they have Nina Turner on? Why don't they have uh, campaign aides from Bernie Sanders' campaign? Why don't they have Susan Sarandon on? Why don't they have Danny Glover on? Why don't they have Josh Fox on? And Josh Fox, uh, who obviously has done great work on fracking and climate change and has great documentaries, he used to be booked on MSNBC. And then he went on with Susan Sarandon and basically told Chris Hayes, uh, why don't you stop being such a putz? Where were you at Standing Rock? Where, were, where are you on like the, these important issues? Why don't you stop, instead of trying to get Susan Sarandon to apologize for Donald Trump getting elected, why don't you actually go out and cover real news? I mean, it, it, it's just absurd what MSNBC has become. And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say it's exactly like Fox News because Fox News is way, way more Islamophobic. Fox News is way, way more um, racist. Fox News is way, way worse with, you know, stretching the truth. But this is not, get, you know, this is getting into Fox News territory because they routinely just misstate facts on air. They don't correct it. There's a clear bias for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. They're even propping up Elizabeth Warren. Anybody but Bernie. Anyone but Bernie. So the piece goes on, and there's some, there's some interesting news nuggets on here too. To help supplement the fact that MSNBC won't invite progressives on, Bernie's campaign has taken steps to create new chances for independent public exposure, including creating a live stream show, The 99, that runs twice per week, and a new podcast called Hear the Burn, produced by uh, the campaign's press secretary. Officials agreed that the more Bernie Sanders appears on major news networks, the better chance he has to make his case to the public. But that increased exposure also comes with a perceived bias amongst hosts and com commentators, officials caution. It's not perceived. Be real. They're completely biased against them. It doesn't even have to be rah, rah, Bernie Sanders, Tanders, Turner said pointing to Zerlina Maxwell, an MSNBC political analyst and former official on Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign who shared the segment with Roca. Just someone who would push back. I mean, that's like the bare minimum. Like, if you're going to have these people on bashing Bernie Sanders, if the anchor's not going to push back and, give, and ask for any facts, could you at least have a living, breathing progressive on? Isn't that what, you know, is fair news coverage? I mean, I'm open with my bias. I don't, I don't hide my bias. I personally support Bernie Sanders. Again, it doesn't change the facts of what I report. I just reported for you there's a labor complaint made against him. I don't know the facts. 
I read it to you. I don't know the facts. I'm looking into it. If they're bad for Bernie, I'm not going to hide it. I'm not a fanboy. But I'm also not going to, like, create bad news to cover for Bernie or, like, you know, be like, oh, I got to be neutral and I got to show both sides. No, I report the facts. And the, the facts happen to support Bernie Sanders as the best candidate, which I think what I'm about to tell you will show. After the segment aired, Turner personally asked women to share stories detailing why they support Sanders, saying that while she wasn't surprised in the volume of responses she received, the depth of the personal accounts women chose to divulge connected to Sanders' policy platform was compelling. That, quote, their voices matter just as much, just as much as Mimi's, Turner said. They may not have a platform on MSNBC, but their voices matter. A spokesperson from MSNBC seemed to dismiss the campaign's claims without mentioning Sanders by name. Quote, a presidential campaign complaining about tough questions and commentary speaks for itself, the spokesperson said. Our anchors and analysis are doing their jobs, discussing day-to-day developments that have an impact out of the race. All right, that's total bullshit. We're not, Bernie Sanders' campaign is not complaining about tough questions. Bernie Sanders' campaign is not complaining about commentary. That's not commentary. When you say a candidate makes my skin crawl, I just can't tell you why. That's not commentary. Commentary is offering your opinion based on a set of facts or principles. Saying this guy makes my skin crawl, this guy is so, I don't know, he's not pro-women. That ain't commentary. That's political attacks on a network masquerading as news. It gets better, though. It gets better. So, you know, MSNBC's arrogant response, oh, we're just doing commentary. No, you're not. You're doing hit jobs. But Sanders' campaign argues the incident was not isolated. Quote, there's no effort to push for fact-based analysis, one campaign official told the Daily Beast. Cable news allows that sort of spin to exist in the world in a way that doesn't get checked. The official said that when contributors on the network engage in more robust policy discussions, including shortly after Sanders gave a speech on Medicare for All, the campaign reached out to the network to push for several fact-based corrections, a standard practice among presidential campaigns. Quote, it's a full-time job, the official said of the back-and-forth dialogue with the network. So you reach out to a network to correct factually incorrect information, the network doesn't. Does that sound like a news network or a propaganda campaign? For all the campaign's gripes with the left-leaning news network, it's not a left-leaning news network anymore. It's a friggin' establishment pro-corporate news network. I mean, they've basically rehabilitated every right-wing warmonger on the planet. Nicole Wallace has a show. She was Bush's communications director. Bill Kristol practically sleeps in the green room helped cheerlead us into Iraq. David Frum is on uh, MSNBC constantly left-leaning. Get the f*** out of here. For all the campaign, uh, excuse me, this is important. For all the campaign's gripes with the left-leaning news network, there's early indication that his message is going over better with an ideologically opposite cable news network. A recent morning consult poll found that Fox News viewers are more likely to support Sanders than those who prefer to watch MSNBC. According to the survey, 22% of Fox News viewers who identified as possible Democratic primary voters said they would back Sanders, as opposed to 13% of MSNBC viewers. The statistic was bolstered further by Sanders' ratings during his own town hall appearance on Fox News, where more than 2.5 million viewers 
turned in to hear Sanders make the case. That is a super, super, super important statistic. The person who's going to beat Donald Trump has to get some of those Trump voters. He has to get some of those Obama voters who switched over to Trump to switch back to the Democrat. So with the candidate who's going to win the presidential election against Trump, they have to get those Obama voters that moved over to Trump back. They also need to get some of Trump's voters back. Well, Bernie Sanders has a 22%, almost a quarter of Fox News' audience view Bernie Sanders favorable. This is to go with other polls that show almost um, Bernie Sanders does best among white working class, non-college educated. That is Donald Trump's base. So he's doing well. 22% for a Democrat on Fox News is damn good. He's doing well among them. He's doing well among non-college educated, white working class. We could have a debate another time. Well, should we go for the white working class or should we go for the black work? Just go for, go for voters. I don't care if it's white working class. I don't care if it's the black working class. The black working class is the working class. It's all one. They try to separate the white working class with the black working class. The black people are in the working class too. Bernie Sanders does well among the working class of America. And there's a lot of black working class, just like white working class, that don't have college degrees. Other polls also show he's doing fairly well among those with bachelor's degrees. The thing he's not doing well is with postgraduate academic Harvard. Basically, this is what happened in 2016. Every single poll, head to head, showed Bernie Sanders beating Donald Trump 10 to 15 points. Showed Hillary Clinton winning by like four to five points. Oh, head in the sand, head in the sand, head in the sand. Hillary, Hillary, Hillary. No, Bernie can't win. Bernie can't win. The Republicans will attack him. The, the Republicans will attack him. They're going to make socialism a bad thing. He's going to fall. He's going to, he's going to, he'll get demolished. He'll get demolished. Nonetheless, every poll showed him winning. There's all of their heads in the sand. So we're just ignoring it. Bernie Sanders does best among young people. Bernie Sanders does, must, does best among uh, working class without a college degree. Trump's base. Bernie Sanders doing well among African-Americans, doing well among Latinos. Beating Donald Trump in almost every single head-to-head -head poll. Actually, every head-to-head -head poll nationally. So, of course... Bernie can't win. Socialism, they, they won't, you know, the country can't handle socialism. They just can't. We're not going to show these polls with socialism on the rise. Socialism in a Gallup poll as of fall of last year. Having more support than capitalism. Oh, can't, we can't tell the audience that. Tyranny, socialism, Soviet Union, communism. I mean, it's just, they're literally, they are willingly, they're willing to lose. They are willing to lose. And by the way, a fun fact that none of these, I don't hear any of these, um, MSNBC, CNN, New York Times, Washington Post mentioning this. This is a list from Morning Consult, so it's political Morning Consult, of the most popular, uh, most popular and unpopular senators. So Angus King, independent from Maine, narrowly is ahead of Bernie. They're both at 62% favorability. Uh, Bernie at 32% unfavorable, King 28%. So really, they're tied basically. 
So Bernie is one or two most popular senator in the country. I never hear this, but Elizabeth Warren, uh, she's up there as most unpopular. You got turkey neck Mitch McConnell underwater there, 36% favorable, 50% unfavorable. Susan Collins, who voted for Brett Kavanaugh, 48% unfavorable, 45%. Corrupt Bob Menendez, 34% favorability, 42% unfavorable. Joe Manchin, another corrupt fake Democrat, 45% favorable, 42%. I mean, Warren, in her own state, eight points. She's only, at, she, she's less than half favorable. So you mean to tell me this is who's going to defeat Donald Trump? Somebody that doesn't even have half favorability of her state? She doesn't reach the 50% mark in her own state that she represents. Did you see that on MSNBC? Did you see that in the New York Times? Did you see it? I mean, they're all propping up. Oh, Elizabeth Warren has a plan. Elizabeth Warren has a plan. Elizabeth Warren has a plan. Well, apparently, the state of Massachusetts, which my uh, my aunt lives in Massachusetts, my uncle lives in Massachusetts, big fan of Massachusetts, love New England. Apparently, I'm not saying like she's hated because she is more favorable than unfavorable, but how is Elizabeth Warren going to beat Donald Trump if she's only eight points up, favorable to unfavorable, not in America, in Massachusetts? I mean, when you're next to Joe Manchin, when you're close to Joe Manchin, that's not good. So iceberg right ahead. And MSNBC is, is controlled opposition. And by the way, I don't know if this is true. A source with knowledge told the Daily Beast, Sanders recently called uh, the beloved married couple, Joe Scarborough and Mika Scarborough, Brzezinski, to have an off-the-record talk. I don't know if it's true. I don't know why he's calling them. I mean, they are, if you watch Morning Joe, which sometimes I do, just to, you know, know your enemy. I mean, they might as well be doing sexual favors for Joe Biden. Flint, Michigan still doesn't have clean water. It's now five years and three months, five years and three months later. Flint, Michigan, contrary to what the corporate media says, contrary to what the state of Michigan says, does not have clean water. You know how I know? I've been there 14 times, going on my 15th time this coming week. So you sometimes you see in the media, sometimes you see in the media stories about how other places now have worse lead levels than Flint, Michigan, even though as status quo broke last year, they cooked the testing in Flint, Michigan. Michigan broke EPA regulations by flushing residents' water lines right before testing for lead. We knocked on 450 doors last summer, last summer and fall. Jen and I knocked on 450 doors because we had sources telling us that the state of Michigan's in Department of Environmental Quality the state of Michigan's environment, Department of Environmental Quality cheated on the water testing. They were flushing water, residents' water lines right before taking lead and copper samples, which is illegal. 
You cannot run people's water before taking lead and copper samples if those lead and copper samples are meant for federal compliance. Thank you, Hoffaball, five bucks in the super chat. So we have stories like this. A water crisis outside New York City has surpassed Flint, according to a pediatrician who helped uncover the Flint disaster. If you turn up, if you turn on the tap in Newark, New Jersey, the water may seem normal, but state records from the last two years indicate that it could contain elevated levels of lead, a metal that's harmful to human health, even in trace amounts. We don't see lead in water, said Mona Hanna Atisha, a pediatrician and professor at Michigan State University. It's clear, it's colorless, it's odorless, it's tasteless. If anyone is familiar with the properties of lead, it's Hanna Atisha. In 2015, she helped blow the lid off the Flint drinking water crisis by revealing an uptick in blood lead levels among Flint children. The data she released wasn't peer reviewed at the time, so Hannah Atisha risked her career by making it public. But by then, the issue had become a matter of conscience. Children exposed to lead can suffer permanent brain damage, which often results in learning disabilities and increased violent behavior. In adults, chronic exposure to low lead levels of lead can cause nausea. For about, quote, for about a year and a half, the crisis was ongoing, and I was telling my patients that everything was okay. Four years later, the tragedy has begun to wind down in Flint. No, it has not. Households are equipped with water filters. Yeah, they go bad very quickly, as I've seen. Lead levels have been reduced. Yes, because they cooked the lead levels, and pipes are being replaced. But, this is, but a new crisis has taken its place in Newark, the largest city in New Jersey, about an hour outside Manhattan. At its zenith, the 19th century and early 20th century, Newark was a booming industrial town, but a combination of white flight and deindustrialization led to decades of decline. Today, around 20%, 28% of the city is impoverished, more than double the U.S. average. When I walk the streets of Newark, I feel like I'm walking in Flint, said Hannah Atisha. Here's a city that has suffered from deinvestment, unemployment, population loss, decades of neglect, violence, crime, and mass incarceration. All these other issues that make it toxic for children to grow up with that. On top of that, the water could be making people sick. Since January 2017, Newark's water has been tested five times by the state. With each result, the lead levels have exceeded 15 parts per billion, the threshold used by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Hannah Atisha, who believes that no amount of lead is safe, called the EPA threshold a crappy standard that hasn't really caught up with science. All right. So, first of all, first of all, before I get to the lies that are being told by the corporate media and, frankly, that pediatrician, I want to be clear. I'm not minimizing what's going on in Newark. One of the stories, just one of the stories that Status Quo is going to be covering now that Ty is moving here next week is the water crisis in Newark, which is easy for us to drive to. I could borrow Mama Charidon's car, head over to Newark, which is in Jersey, about an hour and 20 minutes, I think, or maybe an hour and a half from New York City. So we will be covering the water crisis in, New in um, Newark for sure. So I'm not minimizing it. It deserves attention. It deserves coverage. And we will be covering it. Especially since Ty is going to be here and we have the camera and all that. With that said, 
since we have a lot of new subscribers too, I want to make sure that people understand because we broke this story in November and we're still working on getting this story to blow up. I cannot tell you who, but I have a meeting this coming week in Michigan. When we're there for the debate, I have a meeting with state officials on this very topic. Here is the trailer to our documentary that we have not released yet. We're working on that too. We're going to have news on that very soon. We have some interest in it. So you can see the numbers that they are basing Flint's lead levels are declining were cooked up by former Governor Rick Snyder's Department of Environmental Quality. Here is the trailer to Flushing Flint, which shows Jen and, Jen and I knocking on 450 doors to find this out. If you've seen it already, I'm sorry. If you haven't, here's the trailer to our documentary. When the water changed color to brown and orange, your administration said the water was safe. When people reported rashes, hair loss, odor, and even sewage, your administration said the water was safe. When Legionnaire's disease began to infect and later kill numerous citizens, your administration said the water was safe. I'm a journalist. I'm just asking residents on this block if the state ever came to test your water. They told me they needed to go to the kitchen sink. That's where they went. They turned the water on, let it run for, like I said, like a minute, and collected their sample. Your results are interesting because 15 parts per billion is the limit. Um, so them telling you to let the water run for that long, that's probably why you were getting such low results. When they did it, do you remember if they turned the water on and took the sample right away or did they let it run they first? They let it run a while. They showed up at my door and they handed me a pamphlet and said, okay, it's safe to bathe in before they even went in my house. Have you had any problems health-wise since the water switch? Itching, breaking down, stuff like that. My teeth. Yeah, so. And I've had pneumonia. My skin and I hear I've been getting a lot of boils. Go ahead, get it. Bro, I'm telling you. And I get them like just just bro. And they were worse. My daughter did have a miscarriage. He was at Heritage Manor. Went to McLaren where they had the Legionnaires. My father is dead. They want us out of here. They want to make it a college town and we are not a fool. We know it. Go up and down the street. Look, look over there. We have a forest in the Dagum city. We can't drink our water. We can't go outside and play. We ain't got no parks. They're just going in, people who don't know EPA regulations, people that are older, people that are younger, people that are poor, whatever. And they're just right in front of them, cheating, to try and get a lower number. So who the hell knows what the real numbers are? You always hear that talking point, well, like 3,000 other cities have worse numbers than Flint. I think what we're getting at here is we probably don't know the real lead levels in Flint because they've been flushing out the lead before they test. So that was the trailer to this documentary. I can't get into detail, but we do have interest now 
Uh, we're talking to a former HBO uh, executive who would be our sales agent and be pitching this to bigger platforms. That's why we held off on releasing it. So we're hopefully about to sign with this person and start pitching it. Um, so why I showed you that, this is one of the biggest environmental cover-ups in American history. That's why Aaron Brockovich is quoted in the story. And I'm putting it in the super chat. If you don't know the story, with the link I just put in there, that's the coverage of the story. The link to the original story is in that. This is, this is not improving. It's a lie. This is what the corporate media likes to pretend. So I'm not saying Newark isn't a problem. I'm going to go cover it. I'm not saying and there's a lot of other water problems around the country. But the reason I've always covered Flint and I will continue covering Flint is because if you take the cameras away from Flint, if you let the lies about the lead levels are better, and by the way, it's not just lead. They have bacteria issues in the water. They got cancer-causing chemicals in the water too. If you let the lies stand, the corporate media just feeding this bullshit, if you let the lies stand that the state of Michigan put out there because they went, as we just showed you, they were going into uh, residents' homes and cheating on the testing. Then this gets normalized and any other city could poison their people with no accountability. So that's why I continue covering it and that's why I won't stop covering it. They're still getting rashes. They're still losing hair. I talk to people all the time in Flint that go in their shower and feel like they're gonna faint from the shower water. And you have a pediatrician who is, is um, credited in the media with popping the lid on the Flint water crisis. Great, credit to you, Dr. Mona. This pediatrician, by the way, sorry, I gotta call her out. Jen and I reached out to her multiple times, multiple times to say, hey, the water's not getting better. And if it is, there's no way of knowing really because they cooked the testing. We reached out to her many times with our reporting, with the facts, with the paperwork, she responded to Jen. She said, oh, wow, let me look into it. She has not done anything. She has a national profile. If she went to the media and said, these, these reporters, or she could take credit if she wants, these reporters showed that they cheated on the water testing. These numbers cannot be trusted. We need to have, re we need to have new testing because they were flushing people's water lines right before testing, which is illegal. It's against the EPA's lead and copper rule. So she knows what we found. She responded to Jen. She said, oh, let me send it to someone else. Did nothing. Yes, she's with Hurley Hospital. So I don't know Dr. Mona. Could be a, sure she's a very lovely woman. There's the link to this story if you want to read the story I sent you. But what I do know is she has the information. She is well aware that the lead levels that she is going on, the testing that she is going on, naively, by the way, to just trust former Governor Rick Snyder's administration to test correctly. Well, I'm not giving you my opinion that it was cooked. I'm telling you because I did something radical. Jen and I did something radical. We 
knocked on doors. You know what they call that? Old school. What do they call that? Journalism? I didn't tell these residents what to say. They told me when I asked them, hey, did they let the water run first or did they take the sample right away? Oh, they let the water run. For how long? Eh, five minutes. You're supposed to, and Michigan Department of Environmental Quality's own instruction video said, do not flush before taking samples. So you got this, you know, national hero pediatrician, which again, she did. She was one of the major people to blow the lid off of the Flint water crisis in the beginning. You have her pushing this bullshit narrative that the water crisis is almost over and that the people are, uh, the water is better. Well, if the water is better, why, in a, why one year ago when, when we knocked on these doors, when, by the way, when we knocked on these doors one years ago, it was two months after Governor Snyder declared the, the, the water is back to normal. So they were declaring it a year ago, the water is fine. Why is it that I met one-year-old babies who had just moved into a home in Flint and had white blisters all over their arms and legs and earlobes? You'll see that in the documentary. Why is it that I met people with active rashes, not like scars from old rashes, active rashes from the water? Why is it that I met people that are literally losing hair today when they shower? And the water's fine? Shame on you, Dr. Mona. You have the information in your email box. We sent it to you, you responded, and you haven't done anything. I understand you wrote a book and you were on The View. And I'm glad if you sold many copies of that book. You deserve it. But if you have information, even if there's a small chance that the testing is not credible, and I'm telling you there's a 100% chance that the testing was incredible because we knocked on the doors. We have paperwork to prove it. You know what the state of Michigan, Governor Snyder, and the Department of Environmental Quality said in response to what we found? They couldn't deny it. They couldn't debunk it. You know what their response was? The residents are confused. The residents are confused as to the type of testing that went on in their home. The residents are confused as to who came into their home. And you know, while I'm at it, I gotta keep it real. We submitted the film to Michael Moore's film festival. Hopefully he looks at it. Where is Michael Moore? I see that he's tweeting about uh, Mueller and Trump. That's great. But why isn't Michael Moore still on this? You know how many times I've sent to Michael Moore and his people, our work and this story? Nothing. I'm not doing this for my health. I'm not doing this for my ego. I even was, I was willing to just hand it to Michael Moore. Here's the documentary. Stick your name on it. This isn't about myself. It's not about Jen. It's not about status quo. It's about the children that are still drinking potentially highly contaminated water. Aaron Brockovich is quoted in our story, in the original story, as saying, this is a crime. Again, putting it right in there. It is a crime to falsify a federal regulatory water compliance test. 
It is a crime. So, not taking anything away from what Newark is going on. It's not a competition. The water is contaminated in many places all over the country. But when I see stories with this false premise, the water is getting fought better in Flint. And, you know, the crisis is over. Well, guess what? I just had a Flint resident tell me today, when I, when I sent her that article, a very, very, uh, one of the leading activists in Flint, her words to me after reading that article, Jesus fucking Christ, they're going to lift the state of emergency next month because of shit like this. Meaning they're going to lift the state of emergency, which means they're going to pull more relief money away. They're going to do even more, less water testing. Because self-described or media-appointed heroes like Dr. Atisha, who I don't know, I'm sure she's a nice person, but she's wrong. She is wrong. And if they did, ret I would love, I would, let me tell you something. If they did citywide retesting from an independent water tester, not somebody who's getting government funded, certainly not the Michigan Department of Environmental Quality, who's the very people that cooked up the test and cheated, but from an actual independent water tester, and it was that person or a group was monitored all throughout, and they find that the lead levels are fine, great. I, I would be ecstatic to say, wonderful, there was, there was legitimate, credible testing, the lead levels are down, and now we could focus on other things because there is bacterial problems with the water. But that test, that has not happened. It's disgusting. But if you're watching from Flint, we're still on it. We're not giving up. I can't get into detail now, but I have a meeting outside of the debate. I have a meeting with state officials next week about that very story. And we are still on this.